Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Wednesday, June 21st. Happy summer solstice, the longest day of 2023. And I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. That felt like a lot of syllabins for me. Hopefully not for anyone listening to this. If I've done my job, um, waking waking up from a bit of a tragic nap 15 minutes ago and uh, just getting the resting heart rate down as I collect myself here with you. Beneficial nap in that I spent the weekend out at the cottage and I think I logged back to back to back nights that went something like four to four in uh, sleep hours. So caught a bit back up on the bus, actually got out to a local punk show last night. And then I know I didn't post about on my Instagram story for once. How did I even know you were there? <laughs> did I really even hear the music if I didn't capture it on my phone? Um, yeah, I was there to see the opener and then I like fought tooth and nail battle of will with myself to not leave right after the opener, stay for the headliner. And I made it through about three and a half songs of the headliner before heading home. So uh, me being a little less prepared than I'd like to be on this podcast, just the latest in another one of the casualties of damage done this weekend. Hopefully one of the last, no regrets either way. How about you? How are you doing? Oh, you know, I'm I'm hanging in there. I can't say that I had as crazy a weekend as you or first couple of days of the week, but uh, we did get a massive win over the Pittsburgh Thunderbirds on Saturday. One point win. Ooh. Hopefully turning our, our season around as we've got uh, Montreal coming our way on Sunday for Pride. Ooh. I don't know <laughs> who I'm doing here. Yeah. It's not Pride. Yeah, hopefully we uh, we start uh, a roll here towards the end of our, our season. And beyond that, just uh, trying to make it through these weeks because the weather is absolutely too beautiful outside to be trying to do anything else but enjoy it. So doing well. Uh, not sure if you have anything for Storts this week, but I, I could think of a few. Uh, uh, yeah, I... Quick front runners. Um, Hunter Biden gets the deal of a lifetime in getting off in some shit because he is the president's son. Um, everyone loses their imagination over five people going missing. That's the one. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have a third quick, easy one off the top of my head. So I'm just going to roll with my main story. A much hotter take. Oh, bring back the free use of the swastika. Um, I've got three somewhat unrelated events here that are all minor troubling, really troubling to me and sort of involve a swastika. The first is the one that is the most well-known. Did you hear about Roger Waters and Berlino? No. Do you know who Roger Waters is? No. So you, you get to know... educate me. <laughs> You know where Berlin is. Oh, yeah. I know where Berlin is. Okay. We're, so that, if we're talking about the Berlin. We are. So that is... 
Oh my God, I won't yeah, explain. that's bad that I don't know who Roger Waters is. <laughs> so Roger Waters is the lead singer and a founding member and creative uh, director of Pink Floyd. Okay. The album which has or one of the most influential bands of all time, uh, most associated and well-known for their use of concept albums. Oh, that's an album that has one theme linking it from beginning to end. There's usually a message or ideology or something of the sort associated with that album, and it is brought to life in a plethora of ways, which we won't get into. We still have two more events to go, so I'll try and keep this brief. Uh, Pink Floyd's, one of their most famous albums, The Wall, is a take on totalitarianism, fascism, um, all sorts of things like that, in which they, among other things, in the live production of that album, build a literal wall. Um, uh, in other things Roger Waters does or that is associated with that album is some a member of the performance having these daydreams of being a fascist dictator and it, it's supposed to be a commentary on tyranny and how it can occur so this is an album that has existed since the 70s so you can imagine Roger Waters' surprise when he was doing a performance of this album, which involves dressing up in a black trench coat and having a red armband, uh, that he was informed he was under criminal investigation for doing that in Berlin. Uh, he has also been informed that if he dresses like that in Brazil, he was he will be arrested. The and I think he chose not to dress as such in the UK out of fear that it could occur again. Um, there is a political part to this. Roger Waters is very, very outspoken politically, and some of the directions that have gone in recent years have sat less and less well with some people. Uh, quite frankly, I find most of it incredibly disagreeable on one side of the spectrum and problematic for lack of a better word on the other side of the spectrum um and that is the context which has landed him in these these waters no pun intended mm -hmm. uh most specifically he is quite anti-israel and pro-palestine and you can find like multiple blogs newspapers out of israel complaining about um the dressing but like the important thing oh is they've been doing this since the 70s this isn't an act he rolled out two weeks ago um it's something he's done his entire career and you can absolutely put brackets on this performance and see it as an act of satire and in no way is anti-semitic whatsoever um unless you have absolutely no imagination or understanding of irony okay the next two ones i'll go through a little quicker quicker uh cj hopkins is an american playwright based out of germany who like waters has certain issues with certain people in his case it's more vaccinations and covid policies and he published a book 
which involved a very like faded grayed out you know when you're just starting a video game and you have to like fade the brightness to just see the x that's the level of uh clearness hiddenness we're talking about he had a swastika over a mask on the front cover of his book and has also been informed by germany that there's a criminal investigation going on into that and then lastly because republicans suck um if you remember the comics back from elementary middle high school everyone encountered them at different times called mouse i never read them personally um but very clear allegory of yeah. cats and yeah. mice for jews and nazis going on during the holocaust um there's stories all over the place about different republican book banning efforts uh so this one i guess a board in tennessee banned it back last january of 2022 um referencing sexually explicit material the mother uh reference to the author's own mother like killed herself naked in a bathtub and they're saying because she's naked in the comics again i haven't read it uh, that that's too sexually explicit for children and so they banned it in a tennessee school board and then recently in the last month there have been some more in missouri looking to ban it i wouldn't be shocked to see something similar happening in any of the republican states that have adopted measures that basically let one parent or not even parent but person of interest who could be literally anyone complain uh, which immediately begins a review process and gives the schools and boards some discretion in how seriously and how quickly they want to act on these claims oh the, I, I just think history is something we need to remind ourselves of on a consistent basis okay. i think we can walk and chew bubblegum and even speak about the flavor of that bubblegum and how little we like it all at the same time most of this going on in germany some in brazil i don't know how far the roger waters thing overweight um outreaches across the western world as i said the investigation is still pending so everything hopefully is dropped as quickly as possible and it's the last we hear of it um but for what it is do you find it stupidly terrible or terribly stupid oh my goodness i think it is terribly stupid all three of those stories interwoven together is and and the last one especially just so passionate about you have to understand where we've come from to know where we're going and the less you learn about what has happened and, and what is currently happening in the world, then the more that you get, it's the echo chamber that we've talked about with other issues where you just continue to isolate and specify what you view every day. And people talk about the power of social media being able to access all this information at your fingertips. But with the hyper specific specificity of them being in their own lanes, you get stuff that ends up like this, where one person has one complaint and there's a bunch of people who all think the same thing that instantly rise up and, and cause this, this change. It's just going to harm kids as they grow up because they're not going to have that, that knowledge and understanding of what has happened and what's right and what's wrong. And 
or at least make them allow them to make their own decisions on what's right and what's wrong based on what they've learned. Yeah. Wonderful. Happy to have that segment back up and running. Hopefully when uh, any investigations or decisions following those, we will have updates on them here now that we've hopefully gotten some listeners invested. Till then, on to sports. We've basically got a blockbuster trade here to kick off basketball storylines, borderline blockbuster. I don't know. Five years ago, this was mega blockbuster. Certainly, the headliner is certainly worthy of blockbuster. It's the return that is not so much. Uh, So just jumping right into it. Washington Wizards star Bradley Beal has been traded to the Phoenix Suns. I don't know if it has been officially ratified yet as the Wizards in return are receiving Chris Paul, Landry Shamit, a variety of second round picks and pick swaps that haven't all been flushed out yet. But don't think the deal's gone through because they are looking to reroute Chris Paul uh, to another team to make this a three-teamer and potentially get some more assets in return. I think it's the right move for Washington to move on from Beal and, and look to collect and rebuild. Uh, I think I saw a story earlier that they're also trying to move Porzingis. So it, it feels like a a full blow-up on the horizon for the Wizards. But it's a massive deal that we'll have to dive in and talk about on both sides as, as Bradley Beal joins Kevin Durant and Devin Booker in basically Durant's version of Brooklyn 2.0 um, <laughs> with potentially two less problematic guys off the floor, um, but potentially some worse fit on the floor. Who is Shamit the second? Uh, oh, oh, I see. Sorry, Booker yeah, and Beal yeah, yeah, yeah. are yeah. being less problematic than Harden and Irving. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I actually don't really have anything to say on the Washington Wizards, except like what a massive mistake the extension of Bradley mm. Beal was, if you are going to give him that up for peanuts at this point. Yeah. But maybe the alternative was just letting him walk. And... The, well, the value is they couldn't let him walk because he had a he had a, a no trade in his contract. So yeah. no, they I didn't mean, have much power in what I, they could I, get. And, I quite and... literally mean letting him walk and <laughs> letting him get to free agency and some other team takes a swing on him because the fact is there's some loss here for the Phoenix Suns in taking a super max contract such as yeah. Bradley Beal has um with the value of Beal, I, I, a bit overshadowed. I, I feel like the main, the first thing I think of when I think of Bradley Beal is here's a guy who your point guard can pass the ball to, who should be the best guy on the floor to go and get you two or three points. Except I think Devin Booker and um, Kevin Durant both do that better. So it, it immediately you have this the like highest value contract possible um you don't have a winning track record for many years and you have a very similar skill set being shared on the floor so this is going to be a fascinating problem for is it vocal the sun's hired yes yeah um a lot of firepower a lot of floor spacing 
is going to be need to be done to make this big three work. I think the future of DeAndre Ayton is becomes much much more interesting. Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like a lot of Phoenix voices were saying he was out the, the door after a pretty lackluster playoff effort in which people were talking more about that guy from Australia who's blonde than eight how Aiden did against Jokic. Um, which as we covered here, no one was going to do well against Jokic. It was more like how not badly can you do? And as I said, Aiden fairly lackluster there. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of interesting questions there. Do you go with a big four or do you try and get as much depth possible uh, to round out and fill out some space? Yeah. So before we can really evaluate this team and set our expectations, I'd like to have some sort of answer there from the Suns to know what we're getting. Um, and then the other part of this for me is like, how much did KD have to do with this trade? Because at, at this point in his career and with the actions he've ta- he's taken, a massive part of his legacy is going to be his team building attempts and right how those go and so far everything he's done in chase of a ring has been a massive flop even when he has won rings because of his actions uh so i don't as someone i mean we heard chris paul wasn't getting team optioned by the suns or no they were gonna waive him uh so we knew some change was coming in Phoenix. Uh, there's just too much talent, too much money on the line, and it's new blood ownership who really wants to get after it. So as sports fans, this is great. We get a shakeup of the dice and a new substance to go test out and see how it performs. Um, but the reason I hesitated at the start of this segment to call it blockbuster is I don't know if this truly moves the needle for the Phoenix Suns, who looked like they had a lot more to prove uh, at yeah. the end of their playoff run this year. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point that you make at the end. It's it's a big move for them because Bradley Beal's probably the second best player available right now. In, if you say Dame Lillard's available or Zion or Brandon Ingram, like we'll talk about them in, in a second, but he's right in that top guy range of what you can get in this offseason and in true NBA offseason fashion. It can, it can never be a dull moment. So they go and grab him. And I mean, it gives you unlimited ball uh, creativity. And there, there should be no point over 48 minutes in which your team can't generate a shot. Exactly. And and what it comes down to in the end is, like I said, after the Nuggets won the title, is there's going to be counter adjustments from teams. And I, I don't know if this is the best one that Phoenix could make. Theoretically, DeAndre Ayton is the perfect player to guard Nikola, Nikola Jokic. I don't think, like you said, he did a very good job of it. So that's going to be a massive decision for them to make is who can we potentially get to upgrade because they have no more cap flexibility and they're going to hit that second apron, which is draft pick penalties, which is massive financial penalties. So no MLE. Yeah. Big, big gamble to take. And 
they really like they have Josh Okogi and then not much else beyond that to fill out the rest of this roster. So uh, you're right. There's a there's still a lot of question marks on this team, but it, it feels like a big ownership move, right? New owner syndrome. He comes in, trades for Kevin Durant, now pushes for this Bradley Beal trade. Like he's going all in on the get me stars and we'll figure it out. Uh, and so I'm so fascinated to see if this iteration of a big three can can get the job done. Um, yeah. yeah, it is somewhat the most interesting part of me or part of it for me with Beal is just like there's a bit of a who remind me who that is again factor at play here, which is crazy to say four Led years the league ago. in scoring three years ago. Yeah. Um, so like, it, is this a moment where Bradley Beal surprises us? I, like, I don't think it can be the Bradley Beal of three years ago that brings the best result to the Suns team, but this is clearly a, an athlete with a lot of talent. And can he, with this opportunity that he has landed in his lap, like reinvent himself into the best possible chance into the best possible player uh, that the Suns team needs. That's about it for me. I feel like we have a fair amount to get to of NBA stuff. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, you noted here, coaching carousel is is pretty much complete. I think we only have one team left still in the mix for coaching. And then also, depending on what Monty Williams ends up doing with, with some of the personal stuff that he's been dealing with. But Obviously, Raptors got their guy. We touched on it briefly. Can't really give a full report. I actually, don't until think we, we start did. Seeing... Yeah, I, I don't. I think I mentioned it offhand in one of our okay. previous pods, but we can't really dive into it until we see the draft. We see the team on paper. Start to get the reports at a training camp. Um, and and on that note, tomorrow night is the NBA draft. We saw Victor Wembanyama arrive. It is almost biblical, the amount of following that he has around the streets of New York. Uh, throughout the first pitch at the Yankees game, which did not go well, but I'm not sure, Max, if you saw the photo of him holding the baseball. No. It's freakish. Like The ball looks like a stress ball, like one of those small stress balls that you hold. His fingers like enveloped it. It's, it's unbelievable. And he's... He's just such an alien. Um, looks very different. It looked like he had a poor time riding the subway, just not built for that type of transportation. Uh, and and yeah, just the amount of content that this guy's generating. Everyone's following him. He's going to be the first overall pick. Uh, really exciting if you're San Antonio to get that guy and, and the true draft becomes exciting the second that Wembenyama's name is called because... It feels like the second and third picks might potentially be up for grabs. And I don't think that's necessarily a normal situation in the NBA, but you've got a Charlotte Hornets team that is about to get sold by Michael Jordan. And you could just get another new owner stepping in, trying to make a splash, trying to win now. Um, and, and they've shown all indications that they are interested in drafting Brandon Miller uh, from Texas in, in the second round or second pick of the draft he's a, a really long forward kind of prototypical wing creator that teams would love and he only comes around once in a while very much in the vein of 
Paolo Bancaro and the reasons why Paolo went first last year is the reasons why Brandon Miller has risen up to number two here. But Scoot Henderson is the guy that it feels like a lot of teams are interested in moving up to grab at the third pick. And Portland is certainly selling right now as they're in the frame of mind to build around Dame while he's still got a few more years left of top tier productivity. I just don't know if there's a star out there and and names that have been mentioned are like a Zion an Ingram, a Jalen Brown, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. And I don't know if any of those names are realistic or get the job done for Portland to move off of that number three pick. And so you could see them take scoot and, and then what does that mean for Damian Lillard? Right. That's where things get very interested with him potentially getting traded and Portland trying to go backwards a little bit and, and build around scoot. So very, very fascinating to see what happens with those second and third picks. And then from there, uh, the draft will move along. Both of the Thompson twins projected go in the in the top seven or eight of the draft. I really love seeing some of their workouts this week. They are athletic specimens, both in their own right. And then we arrive at the Toronto Raptors at 13. And there are a multitude of guys that you could kind of go with. And it's so interesting to know what Masai and Bobby Webster want to do with the direction of this team because they really, really have leaned into that length, athleticism, not a lot of shooting. And so you do have guys like like Hendricks, like, like a Buffkin, uh, like an Anthony Black that are all bigger, versatile, two-way players. Um, not a ton of shooting, though. And then uh, the, another guy in that vein, which is right up the Raptors' alley, is is the other French pros- prospect uh, playing on Victor Wembanyama's team, Bilal Koulibaly, uh, who's got a ton of length and, and is one of these late guys who was risen up through the ranks of the draft just with the potential that he could be, right? They love having a, a European guy rise late in, in the draft, and, and that could be up the Raptors' alley. And then you go the other way with, okay, we've got a ton of length and athleticism. Maybe we should complement that with some shooting or some guard play because that is going to fit an area of need, especially with Fred Van Vliet likely on his way out the door. And so that could come with a bit more shooting in Grady Dick and Kaysom Wallace at that two guard, more combo guards and not necessarily your, your point leader, which fits the shooting aspect, but maybe not the who's going to run your offense. And so then where things start to potentially land is a Jalen Hood Shafino. Uh, and he's a guy who's 6'4", but has 6'10 wingspan, uh, can lead an offense, could potentially run your point. Again, not much shooting there, so not sure if, if you love the fit from that perspective, if you've been begging the Raptors to go out and get shooters. I'm just really fascinated to see what they're going to do there. And it's really exciting to have a, another lottery pick in the door uh, that that we can, we can see develop because... Scotty, uh, not the best second year. We're looking to see what he can do. And obviously last year with Coloco showed some flashes of being a, a really nice complimentary center, but we need to see a lot more out of him in, in year two. Poaching another part of the conversation, as we said before getting into the draft, that really becomes indispensable when talking about this Raptors team's future. Um, 
for the podcast record, we'll just throw in that Frank Vogel to the Suns, Monty Williams signs a historically big coaching deal to end up with the Detroit Pistons. Nick Nurse goes to the Philadelphia 76ers while his assistant, Adrian, help me out, goes to the Bucks. Griffin. Adrian Griffin. Oh. And as hyped as I was for the coaching free agent carousel, it underwhelmed a bit. Um, but it'll be interesting to see the switch-ups and the chess matches that go on in those Bucks 76ers games. That would be a pretty hyped playoff series. I don't know how many te- times in NBA history a coach has faced his um, assistant coach in a playoff series the year after they leave the same team. Last bit of NBA news, I almost feel silly including this on the podcast because we are airing it at a time where we are discussing news that is about to happen. But Bill Simmons and Adrian Morzanowski have both indicated that Thursday, Friday, there is a very good chance that Zion Williamson will no longer be a member of the New Orleans Pelicans. One easy tell-o for is this big-name NBA player about to be traded is how much bad press have I read about them in the last two to three months? Mm-hmm. And because it's an indication that the team is leaking information uh, in an attempt to control the narrative. There's other reasons to do that, and there's very good reasons not to do that when you are trying to... <laughs> get the best possible return for said asset. Um, You don't really want all the other GMs to be thinking nothing of their work ethic or that they might be problematic in the locker room. So I'm not entirely sure why this is so common a trend, but it definitely does happen. Um, So yeah, Zion likely on his way out, it seems to me. I know you've been very big on the Zion hype wagon for quite some time. He was your dark horse for MVP this year. A lot of people's, frankly. Uh, So I'm curious to get your take on it. He's just so tantalizing a player, right? When he actually has played, he's been a force of nature and, and is very much in that top 15 player conversation. But it is all of these surrounding pieces that really draw back on the value and so as much as what has happened i think his value is still very high because any other team in the league goes and says we get him in our door under our system with our veteran players with our coaching staff and we can turn it around and turn him into the potential of what he can be and i don't know what the price of that would be but there's not a ton of trading partners necessarily for a Zion. And so would that be Charlotte moving off of two? Would that be Portland moving off of three? That's kind of what the Pelicans are shooting for. If they were to move one or the other, I think they're more attached to Ingram right now, just due to the off court stuff. It's it's just so fascinating because at this point it feels like in New Orleans, they just missed on development and unlucky injuries and whatever else you want to throw in there but it they they just probably feel like they're not going to get the best zion out of what he could be in their market 
And so they want to try and get the most value they can before things even go down a worse road, potentially, right? Sell while he could be at his highest, again, in their market. You could end up five years from now kicking yourself because you gave up a premier talent who is leading his team consistently deep into the playoffs, but you just know it's not going to happen in New Orleans, so might as well get some pieces that you think can help your team succeed. It is with Zion and Lillard. It's a very interesting question of pricing, uh, especially the way picks have been flouted and tossed around and given away these last few years. Though There seem to be some indications that the new collective bargaining agreement will change how GMs view picks for such trades. Um, I think the first team that offers to build a five-house mansion stocked with Mountain Dew and um, four bedrooms for potential baby mamas will grab Zion's interest the most. The Lillard thing, it like I want to touch on Lillard quickly. For your money, you think he suits up the next season as a Portland Trailblazer? Like it seems pretty clearly he's indicated he does not want to play with Scoot Henderson or Miller. I just don't think the Trailblazers are getting the world-beating offers they would like to be getting for that number three pick. And if it's a business. And if you think about it from that perspective, the sure future potential of an 18-year-old with un- norm- enormous untapped potential is just so much safer a bet uh, than a bunch of veterans who will be off your roster in four years tops. Um, but so doesn't seem like that pick is getting traded to me unless Portland settles and lowers their asking price. And if they do use that pick, does Lillard finally press the trade request button? Yeah, and then the landing spots rumored right now are Miami or Brooklyn which would be yeah. fascinating. But I, I read just this morning that every time a team has called, picked up the phone and called Portland and then asked about Lillard, they've been told not to waste their breath to this point. Uh, yeah, I have heard Miami hustling quite hard, which would be as fascinating as it is terrifying for the East. Yeah, yeah. All right, lots of basketball to get through. Looking forward to the draft, but... I think we'll finish up the show with some notes from the tennis season, still very much in the swing of things. Max, what do you got for us today? Yeah, so last week we were three days into the grass season. We are currently in the midst of the most hype week that isn't Wimbledon, uh, at the end of it, which the grass season will basically be halfway done. So first things first, a shout out to Francis TFO and Talon Greekspor for winning last week's 250 events, respectively. Uh, The grass part of the tour is such a weird, bizarre thing where Wimbledon is probably the most worldwidely recognized tennis stage in the world. I don't know what age I was when I stopped uh, pairing green tennis grounds synonymously with the sport in my mind. Uh, Yet grass in general has the shortest season and seems to befuddle a lot of players. So we kind of touched on it last week, but most of the top seeds 
even guys who have done well on grass in the past like lost their first round matchups um so credit and it was more the grass court specialists who went deeper um so big credit to francis tfo i i think there's almost something Djokovic-esque in the versatility and lack of height and despite the big foe nickname, like hugeness in his game. Um, so I find it interesting that he was able to have success. And for me, at least, he broke out on the tour by beating Stefano Tsitsipas in the first round of Wimbledon three, almost three years ago now. Um, so interesting trend to note there. Most of those top-seeded players have recovered and managed to at least win their first-round matchups this week in our 500 events. Uh, so in London at the Cinch Championship, Alcaraz was playing for his first event. Um, and he had to go to a third-set tiebreaker to get it done. I was actually pretty disappointed. He was supposed to play Arthur Fee, who has who's been like an 18-year-old breakout on the tour and has one of the best serves this year, which is always really interesting on grass. But Fee withdrew like like hours before the match was set. Um, so yeah, Alcaraz still very much finding his footing on the grass. Um, but he really pulled it together in that tie break. TFO losing in the second round against Sebastian Corda, who's had a pretty quiet year. Alcaraz playing Laheka in the second round. We'll play the winner of Dimitrov, Serendulo. So big matchup either way in the quarterfinal for him. Cam Nori takes out grass specialist John, Josh Thompson. Uh, keep the British dream going alive. At the bottom of the draw, we got Holger Rune. Uh, so... I feel like my dream cinch matchup is Rune versus Alcaraz. I don't know if we've gotten that even once yet, um, but definitely the two most talented players to enter the tour in the last three years. Uh, and then over in Germany at Halle, I know Alex Zverez took out Denis Shapovalov in the second round. Stefano Tsitsipas losing the second round. Nick Jerry, Daniel Medvedev stays uh going into the quarterfinals beating Laszlo Jere where he'll face Robert Batista Agu uh Alex Rublev also in the draw Talon Griekspor who won last week will face Hubert Herkaz so lots of big names there mixing it up uh this probably in Halle Germany the biggest collection of the biggest names and the best sample size we'll get before Wimbledon, which kicks off a week and a half from now after one more pair of 250 events next week. So next podcast, most of the grass season pre-Wimbledon will be in. So that's when we will give our previews and thoughts heading into that. Yeah, we've just hit the last minute of the show, Marco. So I don't know if you have anything to get in this next 30 seconds. No, sir. Only that I hope people are ready for summer and that they enjoy it to the fullest degree. We're looking forward to Canada Day and Independence Day coming up uh, in, in just a week's time from now. But uh, other than that, thanks everyone so much for listening. Ready for summer, ready for more sports, and ready for more podcasts that I don't fall asleep immediately before and prep better for. Thank you everybody for listening. Sports Next Door signing out. Get
to the station, there's this crazy sound. Hey man, this ain't no fishing town. Yeah, they're fishing, but that ain't all. They're all.